All right. Well, let me start our time in prayer, and then we'll get going here. Father, how we thank you and praise you. Um, we are we are your children. Uh, in your abundant grace, you've given us a, a beautiful day to enjoy. You guide us by your Spirit. You have made us uh, one in your Son, and in Him we know you, and through Him we have uh, all your fullness. Uh, You have done an amazing work of grace, Father, in how you um, redeem and renew, how you guide us day by day. The sufficiency of your grace for us is a gift and a blessing. The completeness and fullness of your salvation is an item of praise. And uh, it's a humbling, humbling truth, Lord, uh, the, the reality of what we have in our Savior. Uh, you have seated us in heavenly places with you because of him you have given us sufficient grace for each day but through him by your spirit and in this time we thank you that uh, here we gather to to learn of your word to see the wonder of your gospel applied in our lives and in our homes we ask for your wisdom uh, lord uh, for each of our unique situations You have brought us each uh, to you in faith by that wonderful work of grace and pray that uh, as that was done in abundance and kindness that uh, from this day uh, forward uh, we would walk with you in that um, response of praise that what else could we do but offer ourselves as uh, living sacrifices holy and acceptable to you. We thank you, Father, for uh, the daily abundance of grace, and we ask for it to be applied here as we learn and share and uh, I pray grow together. Would you guide my words? Uh, May I be true uh, to your truth and only represent that, and uh, would you build us up here where your children gathered together we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's good to have you all here. I've said it once. This is family time. This isn't official time. So let's make it a comfortable, interactive time. Uh, and come on in. We've got a, some notebooks right down here in the middle aisle. And, uh, and everybody's got to come up here together and rub elbows. So come on down. Notebooks right here in the middle, guys, and pens if you need them. So, um, the heart of parenting, and through the day, I want to cover, uh, if you've been with me in a class before, you know we're going to talk about the heart, what the inner man, what where God works in our life, where God renews and changes us. So we're going to talk about the heart, we're going to talk about the home and discipleship in the home. And what that would look like and principles uh, to guide that. And we're going to finish up with some talk about mom and dad and, and what that can look like as we interact. And the, the 
This is all built on applying the gospel to our lives and to our homes. Um, we often say around here, you've probably heard before, right, that preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I, I wonder sometimes if folks go, what does that mean? You know, remind yourself of gospel truths. Remind yourself all the time of what the gospel has done for you and how it will apply in your life. The difference it makes as we talk about this topic today, its application to your life. Um, Because, you know, we, we use the words the sufficiency of Scripture or how God's grace is sufficient for us. Um... That's another one of those, what does that mean, maybe? What does it mean? It's sufficient for you. And pick pick the place you are today. Uh, tired, worn out, joyful, scared of something, fearful of something. You know, God's Word is sufficient for you there. Because the Gospel's work in you and its extent of how He's applied it to your life, the completeness of His work of grace in you, you have what you need in that. So I want uh, this first chunk, well, the whole day, I want to be an encouragement as well as a challenge. I want it to help you translate the truth you are taught here in this place throughout the various ministries you're going to be involved in or sitting in the Sunday service, to the doings of your day, to the guiding of your decisions, to the when, Dad, when you open your mouth the next time with the kids. You know, it's that specific, that practical, and that daily as we live out our faith before the Lord in the roles He has us in. So I want you to leave today... um, with a, a confidence in God. And we're going to learn how to use an intro here, uh, or a, a PowerPoint. I want you to see that sufficiency, that abundance, that He is enough for you. I want to help you dwell on what it means that He is your good shepherd, and in Him you have no want. You have in Him what you need day by day for the tasks ahead of us. In Him you lack nothing. I want you to be encouraged that in Him, you know, I I go, we all go to each day, and, and I don't know tomorrow, you know, the next day at the bank where I work, I don't know how I'm going to do everything I've got to do. And I assume we all go to our tasks a lot of times that way, right? But I go to that, resting and trusting in His grace for that. And so parenting's a lot like that. We, we seem to so want parenting to become a few steps. Is that fair to say? Y'all agree with that? Do a few things. Kids march like little soldiers. Off they go to success, right? Um, has anybody figured out that didn't work? Okay. Um, so the, the, the applicability, the abundance, the fullness of the gospel for life in your salvation, 
is full for you in your home and your parenting and your relationship. And yeah, even when Greg goes to the bank, it applies there too. Okay, so it's, I want you to have that encouragement. Um, and I want you to see, we're going to look at the word because the pattern so often in scripture is God teaches us truth about himself, pick a topic of life, and then either implies or commands a response. So the, the daily living is the living by faith, but it's not living by faith like looking at the clouds and trying to discern which way the wind's blowing. It's living by faith in the revealed truth. So we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about that. So first of all, the gospel. <clears throat> so let's just think about it. God is a holy God. He is just. And this holy God made you in his image. And being made in his image, you're made to know him. We're going to speak of the heart. You're made to worship him. You're made to find in him all you need. Uh, I've said it before, think of heaven. Heaven is not about perfect anything on earth. Heaven is about him and us being joined to him forever. He's going to be pouring out and showing us and displaying his grace forever. We're going to finally realize our eternal reward, that certain inheritance Peter spoke of, and it's being there with him Yes, no tears. Yes, no pain. Sin is gone. Death's defeated. All that wonder. But we finally have the treasure of our soul. We're, we're finally with the one we're made to rightly know and worship. And so let's start that here. Let's see the fullness of the gospel and the, what, it, what it means to be made in his image to know and worship him now. But we got a problem, right? Man's got a problem. Made in his image, but fallen into sin. Willful sin, separated from God, deserving a punishment. That good and gracious God is just and righteous. And he will what? He will punish sin. He cannot not punish sin and be good. So he will punish sin. So that's not good news. However, that good God In his love, his amazing love, like Ephesians 2 says, so many other passages in Scripture, right? Man's dead in sin, but God, right? God has moved. God has provided, and that was his son. His son came, the son of God came to live the life we could not live, to pay the penalty of our sin, that in him God would place our sin on him, that he might justify us with Christ's righteousness in fullness of salvation and eternal hope, right? Christ didn't just die. God raised him from the dead, demonstrating he accepted Christ's perfect sacrifice for sin. And now for all those who would trust and depend on him, They can know forgiveness of sin, salvation, oneness with God, united to him. That gospel is what will guide us as we think about all the things we will talk about today. Preaching the gospel to ourselves. 
could mean what's it going to be like when the children are we're having a hard time. What are my words going to be like? How do I act if they're not doing the right thing in public? You know, what am I concerned about? Am I concerned about me or am I concerned about them? Whose reputation? That sort of thing. The gospel is going to apply in lots and lots of ways as we talk through this stuff today. Um, I think we have. Yeah. So this point here, encouragement from the gospel, dwelling on applying truth. So how do we do it? it let's illustrate it right quick. We've got to boogie through this part, I think, from Ephesians. If you want to look at the book of Ephesians, the book is written in a wonderful way to help us do what we're talking about, applying the gospel to life. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul lays out that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And verses 3 to 14, he illustrates the wonder of that. To the extent that he describes it as God has lavished, verse 8, has lavished his grace on us in all wisdom and insight and made known to us the mystery of his will. Um, Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to him who works all things the course of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also after listening to the message, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit who's given as a pledge of our inheritance and to what? With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. His salvation applies to you now. It does the work of regeneration, forgiveness, justification. His salvation gives you eternal hope. One day your full redemption to be with him. Chapter 1 is about every spiritual blessing in Christ. Chapter 2 we see we move from being dead in sin to alive with God in Christ. Um, man's condition Though positionally, chapter 1, is seated with God in heaven, full full salvation recognized. Chapter 2 introduces, well, but there's a problem, man separated from God. But God does a work of grace, chapter 2 describes, that he's moved us from being dead in sin to alive with Christ, a work of grace that he's done. Chapter 3, Paul describes the wonder of the gospel, its fullness. He prays. Uh, for the for the church, and then chapter four, five, and six <clears throat> begin the transition language to the application of truth. So, if if man is blessed with salvation, a work of grace, how does that get applied? So, here's the preaching the gospel to ourself illustration, right? Chapter four, verse one. He implores us to walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling which we've been called. We've been called to salvation in him, eternal life in him. What does it look like to live in a manner in keeping with and following that wonderful salvation? He goes on in verse 17 that says, let's live or walk no longer as the Gentiles. There's going to be a new pattern applying in my life. And then verse chapter 5, verse 12, 
he kind of shifts the talk a little bit. Verse 1. He says, let's walk in love. Let's live in love. Why? Because that's how we imitate God. We walk as we've been loved. We walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 15, he describes it as being careful how you walk. So you see, we've Paul's taught them about the salvation of God and grace. And now he's saying, what does it look like? How do you think about this applying in your life? We walk, we live in various ways that are in contrast to what it used to look like. Ephesians chapter 6, we see it applied in the children. I think I, let me see here. Yeah, so chapter 6, we see it applied in the children. So the, when we endeavor to honor God in our homes, in our marriages, and in our children, in our family, we want to begin with the view of what God has done for us. That work of grace is what can help guide us as we seek to parent, as we seek to grow in oneness as a couple as we seek to build our home. So let's take a quick look here at this next section, an example of the beauty of the gospel and salvation for help with the weary and burdened. In Matthew chapter 11 are the words. This is actually the first passage that came to mind as I thought about writing this outline. Isn't that interesting? How can I encourage the parents? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, right? Um, Well, to be true and to hopefully practice right here. There's some entrusted guys in here. We need to practice right hermeneutics, right? We need to, what's the real message of the passage? The message of the passage is the people, you know, how Christ contrasted his message with the legalistic, tradition-oriented system that the Jews had put in place. So in Matthew 11, starting in 25, interesting prayer he offers. At At this time he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things. What things? Well, his kingdom message, basically, from the wise and intelligent, And you've revealed him to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So there's there's our hope of salvation. Verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The preceding passage here, he's talked about the folks who didn't get the message of John the Baptist, who thought John the Baptist was a drunkard, right? Who thought Jesus or Jesus was a drunkard and John the Baptist had a demon, he said. They missed the point of the message of the kingdom. And Christ described that as God hiding it from those who acted as if they had no need. They, they, he called them the intelligent or the wise. It was hidden from them. They thought, I don't need this. But he said, those who are infants, those who are babes, they know they, they have a dependence. They need what Christ is offering. 
the idea of the yoke being easy and the burden is light is contrasted to the yoke that was placed on them that was so heavy that they could not fulfill because it was man's rules, man's expectation, performance-based. It was looking at, if I do this, I receive right, I receive good reward, I receive good opinion of man. And Christ is saying, no, that's a, that's a burden you can't fulfill. And if we take on that burden in our home of performance or how we look, it's going to feel heavy, won't it? That's a heavy burden. We can't fulfill that. It's not meant to be fulfilled. But whose burden is easy and whose yoke is light? Because it's by grace. So the passage is a salvation passage. The application for encouragement is that if God has taken care of the greater need, the salvation of our souls, can he not take care of the need of our home, of of us having the strength and wisdom and ability and grace to go day by day in the tasks before us? So you can go to him with a heavy burden and a weary heart because his yoke is easy and his burden is light in this task of parenting and home and family. Questions or thoughts there? Okay. Clear enough? All righty. Next point, I think. Example of... Yes, let me get through there. Are you all okay on filling out blanks? I'm a bad coordinator between notes and blanks. Say yes, no, stop, go. Okay. You can tell me and my note filling out coordinator. How we doing? Group one. Group one. Thank you. Group two, babies and infants. How we doing? All right. Last two points here. So when you, as as the legalistic religious rulers in Christ's day had put the burden of an outward religion, an outward righteousness, a man-based performance-oriented righteousness on the people, that's a heavy burden is the point. Living by faith is different than that. Trusting him is different than that. That's where we find rest. Last point of this, and we do live out our theology. So what's our theology? Just a few words. Help me out here, guys. What we know and believe about God. Sometimes you'll hear your worldview. What's your worldview? Your worldview is your theology. What you understand about God is how you will live. It will guide how we live. So again, when we talk about the gospel being our canvas on which our lives will be painted, 
What we understand about God will guide. I found this on the web. That's great. You want to listen to her instead of me. It might be better. <clears throat> we will paint on that canvas according to our worldview. That's how God made us. We're going to get there to the heart here in just a second. The believer's experience in the home does not have to be the burdensome task that we often try to create ourselves, or the world would put on us as well. Okay? So, let that chew on that a little bit. So now the heart. So the heart is who you are. Um, the heart is your inner man. The heart is, what does Keith say? It's the control center, right? Okay. It is different from this stuff. It's not, it's not that organ in between your ears or that organ in your chest. The heart is not, you know, if you're with Greg every so often, you're going to see some tears, right? You're going to get things get choked up. The heart is not being mushy. The heart is not the touchy-feely thing. The heart is your inner man. It is the seat of where we make decisions, emotions, it's our cognition, our affections, our volition, and our emotions. It's where God does His work. Okay? Because of how God made us, we want to be people focused on the heart. It is very easy in our life to design a home or your own life in a way to manage performance, okay, or to control children when they're little. We're bigger than them. That's not the point. We won't be talking about those kind of things today. We will be talking about the application of eternal truth to the heart, to the changing of our thoughts and our beliefs, of our desires and our motives and our wills and our choices and those responses that come out of our body called emotions. We will be looking to deal with that part of us. Does that make sense? Is that okay? So if Christ is concerned with the heart, if he's aiming there, we want to aim there. If that's what he makes new, if he renews me there, if that's what he sanctifies, we can tell this isn't getting sanctified, right? Till we get to heaven, this is just going to go in a box in the dirt. One day it's going to raise beautifully, right? But it's it goes away. But who you are is where God is working, and that's where we want to be working in the home. Does that make sense? 2 Corinthians 3.18 is that idea of uh, progressive sanctification. As we behold Christ, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That's where God works. That's where he asks us to focus. So um, I'm a big guy on... I missed... Make a note of... Proverbs 4.23. It's going to be right there. 
So, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. Or, several translations uh, say that differently, but the point is, uh, it's the primary thing to be about guarding your heart, because from it is how we live. All right? That's an interesting thought. That's not saying we live by emotions, and that's not saying we live by touchy-feely. That's saying by that inner man that God is renewing or where God works, that's how we live. So when we look at Mark chapter 7, we're going to see an illustration of what Christ thinks about that because we have a... Mark 7, starting in 14. <clears throat> After he'd called the crowd to him, he began to say to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. Uh, and this is in the setting where the Pharisees, you know, they, you guys ate without washing their hands. They were concerned about tradition, things on the outside. Christ said, that's not what we're about. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, when he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable and asked them, saying, Are you so lacking in understand this? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man... That is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. We would be amiss if we orient our home around only enforcing or protecting behavior. Does that make sense? We're going we're gonna to talk about behavior, but not about only behavior. Fair? Everybody okay? Okay, I don't want to make anything cloudy. Making sense? Okay. So Christ is saying it's the heart that we need to deal with. It's the inner man. It's who you really are. <clears throat> so there are dangers in a method that only looks at outward righteousness. Got the follow box there. The Pharisees emphasized tradition. Jesus said they were honoring him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. The religious leaders taught man's rules as doctrines, able to make man righteous. Scary words, isn't that interesting? They were, he said they were teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So we, we're of a camp that says let's teach as doctrine the revealed word of God. And you see how close we are to living a life or enforcing a standard in the home that raises man's expectations for righteousness 
equal with something it's not equal with. Is that fair? Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And then what? Well, their, their behavior is pretty good. Their lips are what? Worshiping me. But their hearts, where are they? They're far from me. That's a danger, okay, in the home. It's a danger with Greg in the mirror. It's a danger with Greg and children. Because I don't want to raise children with that pattern. Okay? And your man in that box there. So. Summarize here some of what we're talking about. The gospel applied, heart-oriented work. It does, there's, there's two big pictures here. One, first of all, God does a work of regeneration and gives us a new heart, right? John 3, Jesus to Nicodemus, the mystery of being regenerated, being born again. God making you new, again, not skin, not bones. God making you new in your inner man, that part that will live with him, that part that he sanctifies. And then you have the work of ongoing daily sanctification. We apply the gospel to the heart. It gets done at salvation and then daily throughout your life. And please don't enter the expectation in your own life or in your children that from salvation to glory is a straight line, just like the undefeated season, right? It's a line that looks like this, but from because what he who began the good work in you will what? Till when? Till completion to the day of Christ. So the trend line is good. The day-by-day line is a little bumpy. True? Okay? It's his work. He promised he's going to complete it. So we want to we coordinate with him by having a similar target. So we're born again first, and then the life is, grows day by day. So if I battle with fear... There, there it is. If I battle with fear about the children... I need to remember God's power to save, and I need to trust and depend on Him rather than attempting to control my children's lives. What's that? That's applying the gospel to your mind, to your parenting, to the actions you will take in response of your children. Is that fair? Does that make sense? So preaching gospel to yourself, gospel-centered, gospel-oriented, eternal truth-focused, says because of that gospel, if I find myself dealing with fear or worry or uncertainty, all right, I'm not going to react a certain way because that would focus on the outward. I want to react a certain way to focus on the inward. I want to remember if I'm dealing I'm with... I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> You're going away now.
go far away. Um, likewise, dwelling on the work of God through Christ to love me, and that His work of grace in me is undeserved will help me rightly respond to children when sin and conflict are involved. So as I'm interacting with my children... I'm also thinking about how God is interacting and interacted with me. Okay? The gospel will impact my thinking about the situation we're in in the home. So based on the target of the heart, what's guiding us in our homes? First of all, let's be sure our standards and communication do not... um, Emphasize rules, behavior, outward appearance, or standards measured by man, and ignore the heart. Are we going to have such, you know, we're going to have rules and standards in every home, true? There's standards for us as we walk out the door today, right? But in the home, we're not going to do one at the expense or the omission of the other. Because God works at the heart. He desires the heart. He doesn't want lips that profess him. Have you, do any thought, when I think about these truths, I think of various uh, Old Testament passages, prophets and such, where God's talking to his people about their sacrifices. Anything come to mind? Their hearts are far from him. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you kind of see the picture, right? So that's this is the home. This is not, let's not create, let's not get bound by a system that creates marching orders, expectations on children for performance that is packaged in the church package. Fair? The same language that we get here. Because we can't sanctify... When our lips are far, when our lips are professing and our hearts are far from Him, don't teach the kids behavior to, that ignores the heart. Okay, so um, let's be sure our concern and focus are oriented on the heart, <clears throat> our own heart, and the hearts of our children. It's important to have standards in the home. It's important to teach right behavior. Does a home need to have various rules or family standards? Of course it does in both those instances, right? But what guides how we design and employ these standards in our home? The fit pattern in Ephesians, all those exhortations and commands to walk and live a certain way, to walk and keeping with your calling to walk as wise, to not walk like the Gentiles walk. Follow what? Look at the wonderful salvation God has given me. It's my response to Him. So as we design standards and conduct expectations in the home, let them be gospel-driven, grace-driven, not, I want my kids to look right, driven. Okay? Or pick the, pick the challenge of your heart, right? I mean, that's where we are. So don't let that become the rule. 
Let's be sure we demonstrate a life that guards the heart, Proverbs 4.23. So I always picture we guard the heart offensively. We keep, well, defensively. We keep things out, right? What I take in is going to affect me. And this is a big part of raising children, is the exposure and what will win their heart and help, in a sense, affect all those the cognition and the will and all the different aspects of our life. Because what gets in there guides us, Christ says, right? What, what The heart is where we live from. So let's be careful what gets there. And then let's also be careful what we let out. Okay, we, That's where we are changed. That's we're going to look at in a little bit how man after salvation, puts off the old man, renews his mind, and puts on the new man. So we want to be shaping right thinking and dwelling on God's Word. We want to be directing uh, desires that honor God. Uh, parents, this is where we lead by example. Okay, Brenda and I were talking the other day, and you know, we, can't, we cannot impart what we are not learning or practicing. Fair? So all this message is for us. Um, Mom and Dad, let's guide in decision-making that's based on faith that glorifies God and not man. It's so easy to teach, even unintentionally, I think, um, responses to situations, expectations in the home, where I think if we got real honest with ourselves, we're a little more concerned about glorifying man and satisfying man's expectations than God's expectations or training the heart. So third, let's be sure we demonstrate a life that guards the hope. I just said that. Let's, oh. The last point. Sorry about that, guys. Pray for and have the confidence to humbly and gently guide conversations, both instructing and correcting, that are shaped by the gospel. <clears throat> this... This to me is mom and dad living by faith day by day. This is that part where we don't know about tomorrow, but we know who we go to for help with tomorrow. We know that we're called by God to be arm in arm in this together, to spend time together talking this out, praying about this, so that those next decisions we need to make, we need to make humbly, we need to make gently, we need to make with Attitudes that seek to glorify Him. Um, it's it's hard to to guide and direct our children and our family direction shooting from the hip, isn't it? It's, we're we're out of gas. Life is fast, but we we can't make these decisions on a dime. This is mom and dad together before the Lord. Remember, he's the one who made you in his image to know you and know him and to find your value in him, to love him. And and he's the one with you. He's the one that did the work of grace in you. So when you face these uncertain situations that are hard, face them with confidence in his sufficient grace. He will guide. He will provide. So now the right application of standards and rules in the home. All right.
We know that we do not grow in godliness by a lack of discipline or by standing still. So, again, talking about the heart doesn't mean we all sit around and pray and wait for everybody to feel good or feel like doing the next neat thing. That's not the heart. That's probably living by emotion, I would say, right? Um, And at worst, something else. But we know we grow through discipline, like 1 Timothy 4, 7. We discipline ourselves for godliness. It's an intentional practice in the home. It's intentional practice in our own lives. Um, So when we think about how we're designing the standards in our home, we will balance the effort we give to affecting the heart with standards that reflect God's goodness and grace and holiness, that we grow through that sort of discipline. We also know that good habits help to train or guide our hearts. You know, I don't feel like it. Well, (laughs) after I learn to do it, sometimes I actually feel like it. So habits work good both ways. Sometimes when we're in the rut and can't X, Y, or Z, the right practice is what will help us. Sometimes when uh, we're a little too good on the rules and the practice, we might need to back up and balance it with what is God after here in this. Am I, have I designed a practice or a system that's going to teach something and enable my child to ignore God's work in his heart, God's conviction of sin, God's direction of what's a priority in this situation. It's easy to design practices that make us so good at the one we can leave the other. So habits are important. Jesus also is concerned that we uh, not create an environment where people honor God with their lips and their hearts are far from him. And we will do this if we seek to please men above God or when we desire to exercise control over the children. So the designing of rules or the standards in our home is not the end all. It's to reflect the gospel grace and message that guides us. Okay. So, Mom and Dad, we need to build our relationship, our conversation, our interaction with each other and with the children on these gospel-oriented, gospel and heart-oriented principles. How does God's love and grace impact our relationships? Because Christ died for me while I was a sinner, how does that guide my correction and discipline of the children? what should forgiveness and reconciliation look like in the home? Um, Perfect opportunity for gospel language, right? In this case. Um, I was thinking of two stories this morning. One, our youngest during a time of discipline uh, a long time ago, you know, turning the situation to the gospel, opportunity to, you know, what would God have you think or do in this situation based on something the child knew at the time. 
And her answer was, I don't know. How can I know when he's up there and I'm down here? You know, so that's, you know, you want to say that too many days of the week, you know, staring at a situation at work or in the house. And I feel like going, you're up there and I'm down. So, but that same child years later said, you know, it was after a time of discipline where she trusted Christ. <laughs> so, gospel-driven, the, those opportunities of interaction with the child, especially you take them off by themselves, right? You're, you're together. For one, you don't want that to be the only time that this language ever comes out of your mouth. The gospel needs to be the language of your home. It needs to be the conversation. But in those times of struggle when forgiveness, reconciliation, correction, discipline are, are the topic, it's just a gospel-saturated moment. Does that make sense? Okay. And pray for help in those situations that God gives you the words to, you know, this time I can say it in a different way than I said it last time. And, and I can tie it to a different situation or a different heart issue that I can have some insight and help in, in shaping the words to make it a fresh and applicable reference to gospel truths. Does that make sense? Okay. Is that, it's easy to be a one-trick pony, you know. Christ died for you. You should do this. Boom, boom, boom. Four steps. Okay, go. All true? Yeah. You see what I'm getting at? God will help you and guide you in making the language of your home alive and fresh as this becomes your desire to train the heart, name it the heart of the children. So we want to demonstrate these truths, Mom and Dad, right? This is the challenge day to day. So when I make decisions, what are they based on? If I'll, I need to alter the way I live because of these gospel truths, the children need to see me doing this, right? I need to alter my own thoughts and words to honor God. I need to respond to someone's sin rightly because of these truths. And you see what I'm saying? This is We're demonstrating this. this is the way we're living in the home. This isn't, we don't want this to be that good moment. Going to gear up today. This, I want to, we want this to be the expression of our life of faith that we live these ways so that our words have some substance as we interact with the children on these topics. Now, Titus 3, 4 through 7, He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. Come on, good Awana guys, help me finish it. Um... I need help, gentlemen. Titus 3. Huh? I'm stuck. Titus 3, 4 to 7. According to His mercy, saved us. Okay. What in that did I earn? None of that, right? There's, there's nothing in my salvation 
that I earned. Nothing in my salvation that I earned. If my life in Christ is based on grace alone. Okay. Now I'm talking to my kids. Now I'm building my home. Now we're establishing the patterns in our home. I cannot earn God's love. Therefore, God's love is my pattern and example for love in my home. And I must live humbly among my family to rightly demonstrate the grace of God. Mom and Dad, we can uncomplicate the standards and rules of the home and they can work and we can work together to create the environment in the home as we raise the kids. We can ask God to help us with these things. We can be confident to trust God to work through His Word as we seek to honor Him. Don't feel like you have to adopt the Smith's schedule. It works, right? Or the Brown's method of discipline. Right or the Jones, what did I say? The Jones's diet. Don't design under the pressure like that of choosing either from expectations or your fear of the children's behavior. So we grab onto something we think is proven. Refrain from that. Rest in God. Trust in Him. Depend on His grace. It's sufficient for you. His gospel works. Look at you. It worked in you. It will work in your kids by His grace. So uh, take note of the way God instructs His people in His church. We've mentioned this already with the Ephesians pattern, but I'm going to zoom through this right quick. I'm going to get, okay. So Isaiah 64, He asks His people to remember that He's a God who is different than any other. Because he works on behalf of those who wait on him. And Paul actually refers to that in 1 Corinthians 2. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, right, that that passage. Nor has anyone ever seen a God who works for those who wait for him. That's the hope you have. So the epistles, the pattern we've talked about in Ephesians He teaches us doctrines, and then he says, therefore. And the therefore is the transition to the application of life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is probably, to me, the the greatest summation of that. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. It's 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 the reasonable thing we can do, in a sense. And... Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. That's what we're talking about today, by the renewing of your mind so that you will what? You will know what God's good and acceptable will is. It's right here. There goes all the good notes that he gave us. So, Galatians 5, words it differently, keep standing firm, he says. This is to a church that had bought back in. They were being challenged, right, with legalism and all sorts of fun stuff to be outwardly righteous. He said, fight that, fight that, stand firm. Ephesians 4, we got the picture of living or walking. So truth and doctrine must be first as we guide in our homes. We guide from a gospel-based, scripture-saturated, humble walk with God that is 
that confidently trusts in Him. Does that make sense? Does that? And from that, mom and dad are together. They're praying. They're talking. They're asking God for direction. And to what does it look like? You know, we had uh, two kids. Then we had a five-year gap. Those two were two years apart. Then we had a five-year gap. Then we had two more. They were about two years apart. It is a boy and a girl and a boy and a girl. So they didn't have, they weren't, so to speak, buddies, you know. They were, they were wonderful siblings. And say, you know, then we had another family five years later. And, and the conversation was always, what do we do? We're doing this with them and we're doing this with them and it's different and making sense. Questions? 